0: Our good friends at Johnny-O welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnny-O clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago. But it's the signature Johnny-O style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me and I've been wearing Johnny-O ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at JohnnyO.com, use the promo code RichTake at checkout for twenty percent off your first order.
1: Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome. to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted. Built, Built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, host. Richmond Weaver. What time is it?
0: This is episode 119. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. One thing that is often missed in team sports is the aspect of serving the collective whole in order to accomplish the goals of the team. And Kelly Gramlich would learn those principles playing basketball in her home state of Texas, where her love of basketball would eventually lead her to Clemson University as she would become a member of the women's basketball team from 2011 to 2014, and she still holds the record for the most three-point field goals made in a game. After also earning a graduate degree from Clemson, she would venture into radio and TV broadcasting as an on-air talent at 105.5 The Roar, co-hosting the afternoon show, Out of Bounds, alongside William Quackenbush since 2016. And you'll be able to find her as a color analyst for women's basketball on the new ACC Network, while also co-hosting the Tiger pregame show with Scott Reimer during football season. Here's episode 119 with Kelly Gramlich. Honored to have Kelly Gramlich here joining me. Kelly, this is the first time in the new studio
1: this is awesome. <laughs> this is really, really cool. I am honored to be the first guest in this studio, which well, I, I just found out. Well, i it for you, though. That's amazing. Yes. Did you save these mugs? The um, mugs make me feel really legit. These are awesome. official
0: now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the podcast is truly official yes, when I have t-shirts and a cool. mug now.
1: That's very cool. Got some water in here, so we'll stay hydrated. But that's how you know you've made it. I'm sure. like right well,
0: now. I'm trying. And now I know I've officially made it, and I've got you as a guest. Oh,
1: I don't, if those are your standards, uh, we'll, we'll see. But I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, I can't thank you enough for your time, because I know you, you talk for a living. Yes. On the radio. So have you always been a person that has enjoyed talking?
1: I think so. Yeah, I, I would have to say. I mean, I've always been a talker, someone who enjoyed just conversation things like that. But I was never I don't know, I wasn't the kid that envisioned themselves on TV from a or on radio or something like that in that field from an early age. So I'm not really sure how we ended up here, but I definitely always had the the personality of wanting to entertain to a certain extent and and make jokes and just kind of always have people around, always a social person, if you will. So maybe that was a sign that I didn't really know.
0: Were you a class clown?
1: I was not a class clown. (laughs) Uh, I would not describe myself as a class clown. I picked my moments. You did. You you pick your moments. You get a little little lighthearted joke in there every now and then. But I wouldn't say I was a class clown.
0: So what was life growing up for you in terms of how sports became involved Mm -hmm. in your life?
1: You know, sports. I actually just recently spoke to the um, Clemson Chamber of Commerce, the the ladies' lunch in there, and it was about. I was telling my story, so I just did this, which is good because I don't really. So now you remember I everything. I don't tell it all the time, <laughs> but you know, I did live it, so there was that. Um, we were such a sports family from the very beginning. So my mom is was a great athlete. She played tennis at Duke, and she played number one for them. And her later years there, she was just an incredible athlete. So my family was just. Full of, of sports from the beginning, uh, my dad always likes to joke. He, my mom was the athlete. My dad drank beer for Oklahoma. That's his joke. That's what he loves to say. <laughs> that's an, that's an athletic so performance as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, my especially my mom's side of My my grandparents, big sports people. I mean, lifelong season ticket holders at the University of Texas. So, been going to Texas football games since I was was really small, and basketball games and women's basketball games. My dad and my my grandfather would take me to those. So. I think from a from an early age, it was never communicated to me that sports were just for my my brother. They were for me as well, and my brother and I. I mean, we we had some battles out in the in the street What's playing the age basketball. Difference? Fifteen months.
0: Oh, so you guys are yeah. Very, so two very years close. in school,
1: but um, I always say there's no way I would have played college basketball without John because. I played with the boys all growing up, with John, and then I would play with my age group with the boys, and John would play up. So we'd have a girl and a and a, and a kid, a, a younger kid, and they'd say, sure, y'all can be on the same team, you know, because it's a girl, and it's an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old league, and we, we used to do pretty well. So playing with the boys, that was always a part of my childhood growing up, but sports were on our TV at all times. Uh, one of my first papers that my mom kept from kindergarten, you know, you just write like a little story, was about Duke losing the 1999 national championship game. <laughs> so, and I did grow up a Duke fan. that is something, if you listen to our show, you know, but my mom went to Duke, so you can't fault me on that Well, one. you
0: have to be a Duke fan it, uh, mom was, goes there. It was
1: destined to happen. Uh, obviously, I, I bleed orange now, but... Yeah. It's in the blood.
0: Of course. And obviously at the time, Duke was very good at basketball. They they were. And they have been, obviously, for a period of time. Yes. Now, was basketball your first love, so to speak, or did you have a first love in terms of sports?
1: My brother and I always wonder, how how did we get into basketball? Because like I said, my mom was a great tennis player. We were very much a tennis family. Uh, My aunt also played tennis. She played tennis at North Texas, and my grandpa loved tennis. So they tried to force tennis on me. Yeah, what happened here? And John, here? gosh, I I hope if any of your viewers or listeners love tennis, that's great. I could not get into <laughs> tennis. I don't know what it was. I tried. It was just it was very repetitive. There was not much, you know, not not much going on there. We do have some home videos of my mom trying to get me to play some tennis, but that didn't work. Somehow, someway, I picked up a basketball, and my brother John followed right behind, and then. We just started playing basketball, but um, basketball was definitely my first love. For most of my childhood, maybe until high school, basketball was literally what I thought about at all times. All the time. I mean, I absolutely loved it. My dad would always say he never had to push my brother and I to go play or to go shoot or any of that. He just he bought us a ball, and he would keep us stocked with uh, new basketballs. And he, we just wanted to do it. I, I just loved it. So we were out there all the time. And thankfully, I had a brother who, I mean, he loved it as much as I did. So we just played all the time.
0: And do you think there's any aspect of that with your mom pushing you to tennis? And not in a bad way, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, she loved tennis and would enjoy having <laughs> her children play tennis. But do you think that had anything to do with you not gravitating towards tennis? Or is it more of just the sport itself?
1: It's possible. I, You know, I really, I should have done my own research on my own life and figure out how on earth we first picked <laughs> up a basketball because I need to get some more clarification on this. Maybe it was the Duke part of watching basketball early because if you're a Duke fan, you know, you're not really watching football. You're watching basketball. So that's mm-hmm. what I saw. But um, they definitely tried to to push tennis out there. But I think basketball, the reason why I loved it so much was because it was my own choice, right? I was drawn to it for some reason. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that was picked for me. So maybe that was a good thing in the long run. And basketball too is one of those sports. I mean, you see it in our country, it's so much easier to play. When you look at the tennises and the golfs and, and sports like that, it's just tougher for people of, of any walk of life to get involved. In basketball, you need a hoop and you need a ball. Oh, it's so it's that easy. easy. Yes. And, and sometimes you don't even play need a hoop. all the time. Yeah. You can just go out right. and dribble and oh. play.
0: I remember those days Definitely. growing up just dribbling up and down mm-hmm. our street. Oh yeah. And I found just so much joy out of mm-hmm. that. Uh, and I think there's also the aspect of I never graded, gravitated towards like tennis or anything mm-hmm. of that nature. Now, later in life, I, I love sure. golf, sure. Um, but I think just from the camaraderie aspect yes. of basketball as well. And it was the, the the competition amongst other people. But then you were. You had a team of support. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the one-on-one type of competition.
1: That's another really good point too, because with tennis, you're you're kind of by yourself yes. out there, unless you're playing doubles. But a lot of that is about singles, and maybe that's part of what drew my brother and I to basketball. Is tennis just? It just seemed like you were all by yourself. And we grew up on this great street. I mean, we had a it's a it's a crazy situation. We had eighteen to twenty kids on this street that were all near the same age, and so we would just recruit our neighbors to play basketball with us. (laughs) None of them ended up being basketball players, but thankfully they put up with us. And it's so much easier to recruit your friends to get a game of two on two going than say, let's walk down to the park, bring tennis rackets, play tennis, that kind of thing. Basketball just is unique in that way.
0: That's right. Well, we live in a neighborhood right now where we do have access to tennis courts. Mm -hmm. It's just right down the road in a park, but inherently We'll have, my son will have eight to 10 guys in our driveway. Right. Just playing basketball. Exactly. Exactly. And because there's the social aspect Mm -hmm. of it, you know, from that side. Now, with you and your brother, though, you'd mentioned, I mean, you guys were obviously close and competitive.
1: Oh, man. What's some
0: stories? I'm going to hear some knockdown drag outs.
1: Uh. I'm a really competitive person. Anyone that knows me. That's one of the first things they would say about me. And that comes from my brother. And one thing, uh, actually, my boyfriend loves to say this. He says that John, my brother, still lives rent-free in my head. He still does because he just mentally... He's just there. Oh, man. And we're opposites in a lot of ways. I mean, John is not emotional. He's very mentally tough. He doesn't show... I mean, he's just calm, cool, collected. I'm a little different than that. (laughs) And so, you know, if I got up on him, we play one-on-one. We used to play... There were a few few summers there where we'd wake up on Saturday. This this sounds so just like obsessed with basketball. We'd play one on one to hundred. We just wow. Play. And you know if I got up, I'd be feeling good and maybe feeling a little cocky. And John was just stone cold, right? And then he would get up, and you know I'm I'm struggling with <laughs> that. And so that just drove me insane. And all I wanted to do was was beat my brother. And we were always about the same size. I was a little taller than him for most of our childhood. But we were similar in that we could play together, and it was, it was even. It was a good test. And then, of course, he got a little bigger. He's, he's taller than me. He's more athletic, and it got tougher. But that made me better because it, it was difficult. But we, we had some battles. There's one. I'll tell you a story, and this paints my brother in a negative light, But trust me, he's a great guy. Okay, it's
0: okay, John. We, we'll we'll <laughs> forgive you.
1: We were playing one-on-one. This was right before, actually, I was a freshman in high school. And I went up for a layup. And he, he it's not like he shoved me, but it was a physical. Like, he fouled me a little bit. I happened to fall. And I scraped my face on the ground. This just happened how I, how I fell. And the next day, again, I'm a 14-year-old girl going to high school. The next day at school was picture day. Oh, my god. And it goodness. was rough. Yeah, I had to try to cake on some, <laughs> some makeup to make that work. But... You know, the battle scars of those. That was a true battle scar. Was, he apologized. He felt bad. I feel like this is um, <laughs> reflecting poorly on him, but it was a hard foul. And those happen.
0: That's right. Have you been able to thank him for what you described that he pushed you mm-hmm. ultimately to make you a better player and help you become a college basketball player at Clemson?
1: Yeah, he knows. He knows. I think mm-hmm. I've said it publicly in a few things that were written when I was um, in college, but. He knows that, and um, I think it also goes the other way because my brother was a really good basketball player at St. Edwards, which is a Division II school mm-hmm. in Austin, um, and is one of the leading scorers there. Started for all four years. He's now in law school, and he's just he's about to enter his third year. Really proud of him. Oh, but of course. Um, you know, not many brothers say I wouldn't have played college basketball without my sister, but he's he's told me that too. So okay, so it's really cool. It's yeah. worked both goes ways. Both ways. Yeah. Goes both ways.
0: And how do your parents feel about the? competitiveness uh, with you guys?
1: There were times where I know it wasn't their favorite thing because we would end in fights. It would end in, you know, tears and all these things and we were just so competitive about everything. Um, and I think a lot of, especially teenage siblings, you know, when you're that close in age, you're sharing a car. <laughs> that mm. was an issue for us. Um,
0: There's some fights right there. Oh, you
1: know. Any, <laughs> any parent out there teenagers or any people that have shared a car with their teenage sibling, you know what I'm saying. But, um, you know, once you get past that part of it, you're just so grateful that you had someone that close in age that was also as athletically inclined and cared so much about what you were doing and you know we've gotten even closer since then especially now that john you know he's in law school and he's becoming an adult which is crazy (laughs) um so we, we you know we just went to to uh colorado for july 4th together with our grandparents and had a great time so my parents i think in the moment probably gave them some headaches but i also think they knew what they were doing and uh they were glad that we had each other. And they did a good job, <laughs> making us that close in age. It was well, good. Well, <laughs>
0: I, I, I can. I've got two boys that are nineteen months apart. Okay, there you go. Yes, so you know. So they're 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 close, and then my middle one to my uh, third one, my daughter. Mm-hmm. So they're two years apart. Mm-hmm. So we did the stair stepper. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I completely understand the situation of. How it can be in a household when they're that close, mm-hmm. which I love though. I, I I like that. My my brother was five years yeah. younger than me, and so we were always at different stages in our life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was never really. I mean, we had our close moments, yeah. but we were not as close as I know. I imagine you guys.
1: I think being have in been. in the same stage because you're really in the same stage. Throughout your whole life, yes. whether it's, I guess it's a little different when you're going to college and the other sibling is still in high school, but um, you just have that person that you know is going through, basically going the through same thing. the same thing as you and with you. And pretty much you're going to be like that your whole life, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure five years is good too, well, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> if <There's... laughs> you did it that way, it's okay. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's one right or wrong right. situation because obviously people have kids at different ages, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. So making the transition then from just loving the game and playing it to now, actually, you're focused in on wanting to do it in mm-hmm. college. I mean, Was there a defining moment that you said to yourself, I want to be a college basketball player?
1: You know, I don't know if there was a defining moment, but that was my dream from a very young age. We watched so much college basketball in my house. I mean, we I'm a Spurs fan. We like the Spurs. But because of Duke, we watched a lot of Texas. We watched just a lot of college basketball. And specifically around the time I was growing up, you had the WNBA start. Mm-hmm. It's about a 20-year-old league, so I saw that. And then women's basketball was starting to really gain ground with the Tennessees and the Yukons, and uh, Texas was really good where I was growing up. Duke was very good. Oklahoma was good. Those schools. So... When I saw that on TV, it made me realize that was out there. And that's, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to play college basketball. That was my dream. People say, you know, you want to grow up and become this, this, and this. I wanted to play college basketball, and then we'll see what happens. Okay, yes. that, <laughs> that there is, was no other plan
0: yeah. after, right? That was Let's all just get I, to college That was all I
1: wanted to do. And so I thought about that. I mean, I was thinking about that when I was like eight years old. That early? Yeah. And I thought, I would have these kind of thoughts where... If I don't go shoot today, you know someone else is, and I, I want to play college basketball, and I'm eight. That's just how I thought. I don't even know. It was probably irrational at the time. Well, I didn't need I, to be thinking like but that. That's but that's what
0: drove you, though. Yeah, that I mean, it obviously shaped you and impacted you and helped you reach a goal. Because uh, it's it's one thing just to go play college basketball, but it's another to go play Division One yeah. ACC basketball. How did you get to Clemson?
1: Oh, that now that is a. That's a story that I assign to uh, God because (laughs) there's really no other way to explain how I ended up in Clemson. But, um, you know, talking about playing college basketball, I think when I first started getting some letters, so you'll receive letters in the mail, Mm -hmm. whether it's just questionnaires and stuff like that, that's when I started really thinking about it and then getting into high school and – I was getting better, and, and I was getting more interest from schools, and I was playing on a really good AAU team, actually. And that's how that all happened. I was playing on a team out of San Antonio, coached by Clarissa Davis, who was a former star at University of Texas. Um, and my team, it was my junior year. So anyone out there who knows AAU, your junior year summer. So the summer before your senior year is a huge, huge summer year, yes, for, um, for getting offers and stuff like that. So I was playing on more of a local team, but I joined this team. For that summer. And that team that I played on had, I, I believe it was 10 Division I players. We had a girl go to Texas. We had a girl go to LSU, NC State, Western Kentucky. I mean, there's the list goes on and on. So it was a really mm-hmm. good team. And, you know, I came off the bench. I was the shooter. <laughs> Trust me, I was not the best player on this team. But that's how I got noticed. Because if you're playing on a team with all these, all these big-time players, coaches are going to be in the stands. Um, and so one game we were playing at a Boo Williams tournament in Virginia, which is a big tournament every year. And I went out there and I hit, I think it was seven, seven threes, something like that. And a Clemson coach happened to be in the stands. And at that point I had, I had some lower offers and I had some interest from a few power five schools, but it was more kind of the, the smaller schools in Texas that were looking at me. University of Texas was not looking at me, Um but Clemson did, and so I got a call from Coach O at Clemson, who's now the head coach at Ole Miss, and um, she said, we want to offer you. It was before I'd even met her. It was, wow. it was crazy. So I, ha- I knew I had the offer, um, and I knew what Clemson was because through Duke, I knew about the yes, ACC. Of knew about Clemson. Pretty sure I had just watched the Clemson destroy Duke in Little John in men's basketball in, like, '09. I remember that vividly. So I knew about, uh, you know, all that, the orange and purple. But then I came out to Clemson. I visited – and I absolutely loved it. I just loved just it. Just immediate. Yes, it was, and I think you know some football recruits will say that, and I'm sure fans are like, really? It was. It was immediate, and I felt like it was where I needed to be. So I committed. That was before my junior year or before my senior year, excuse me. Um, and then you know, looking back on that, at the time, as a 17 year old kid, I had no idea the kind of decision I was making and how that would shape the whole rest of my life. It's its crazy. It's a huge decision. It's crazy, yes. And it felt like a huge de- decision, but it really, I couldn't grasp that at 17. Of course not, no. And I don't think I was meant to, because That's right. it would have freaked me out, right? Yes. <laughs> but I also don't think I really understood how far away it was from, from Texas either, but <laughs> you know, you're know, just like, okay, I'll go on a plane, it's fine. Um, but I mean, it's the best decision I ever made. I still, it definitely is. But I had no idea the the magnitude of it at the time.
0: And at that moment when you get the offer, Mm -hmm. though, I mean, is it a – and when you commit, I I should say, was there a sense of, all right, relief that (laughs) I've made a decision, I'm good, I'm I'm happy with the decision? And so you didn't have to worry through – because I know you had to be seeing – other teammates, yes. AAU teammates, what they were going through mm-hmm. in terms of the whole recruiting process. When
1: I see, especially uh, like a big football recruit, which we've seen a lot of that with Clemson. When I see all these schools that they've had offers from, they're taking all their visits. I feel for them in a way. I mean, it's great to be wanted and and to have all those options, but the recruiting process is really stressful, and it can just feel like it's weighing you down when. Look, like I said, you're 17. I mean, you're looking forward to your senior year of high school. You're looking forward to one more basketball season and prom and all these things. And you just kind of want to do that. And then, of course, you want to go to college, but you want to figure out that decision. So once I made that decision, I think I it was June or July, I had a great senior year of high school because I was just done. Yeah, and I could enjoy basketball. I wasn't putting as much pressure on myself numbers-wise. You know, we had our best season um, wins and losses wise in high school and got to enjoy time with my teammates. And yeah, so it was, it really did feel like a, a weight off my shoulders. Yeah.
0: Now, obviously this doesn't, um, it's it's not impacted for basketball because of the season, how long it goes mm-hmm. into you know January, February, into March. But as you mentioned, being able to enjoy your senior year, mm-hmm. how do you view like, some of these football players who are mm. leaving high school early oh, to enroll into college because I look back at it, on it as well I don't know if I could have done that if if that was even an option because I'm a basketball guy yeah. as well but I, I don't know if I could could do that
1: I would could not you? have wanted to do that no I I mean I don't know it's different for everybody and I know in football it's becoming more and more important yeah and I get that but I understand it from a football perspective. And if the player wants to do it, the player should be able to oh, do I it. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I'm not a huge advocate of it, though. I don't think I would tell my future child to do that because you only get a senior year in high school once. And you. the other part of it, too, is you can ask people what it's like to be a student athlete and you can gather information and you can try to understand what it's like. But you don't get it until you're there. And trust me, I had a great time in college. I made lifelong friends. It was a great time. But I worked my butt off, and I had a full-time job. Really, you did. Yeah, that's what playing a sport is. So, if you're committing to a school to have that full-time job and lay, you know, lay your body out there to play a sport, and they're paying for your school, and and it's a it's a great trade-off. I think you should be able to enjoy your your senior year, and I would advise that to someone who's kind of waffling with the decision.
0: Yeah, it would be very tough for me to advise somebody to leave early because I I think there's. It's it's really not that big of a window of time. No,
1: it it isn't. Yeah. And you're giving up that time that you can never, ever get back. That's right. Now, maybe if you're Trevor Lawrence or something, you make that decision and you have (laughs) the NFL in mind. (laughs) But for your average student athlete, probably not.
0: What was life like in terms of on the AAU circuit? I mean, were you always traveling all the time?
1: Mm -hmm. And that's another thing to just... I'm so grateful to my parents for so many reasons, but the, the money and time that they put into, because it wasn't just me too, it was my brother. So, I mean, he did the same thing. So it was one weekend, my dad was with John and my mom was with me and vice versa. And, and they sacrificed a lot just of their free time, obviously their money to support us. And they never made it feel like we were inconveniencing them at all. But we would travel, you'd play basketball season, the only month off that we had. Once you get into high school, what's August? Because you get into school, September, you're in school, of course, but you're practicing. And then you go through the school year. And starting in April, you start playing a lot of AAU tournaments. And they have these open periods, which are where uh, coaches can come watch you. They might have changed those rules now, but those are mainly in April and July. So you're playing AAU April through July. We would generally take August off. We wouldn't play as much basketball. We'd go on family vacation or whatever, but it's an 11-month season.
0: Yeah. And again, it's a commitment yeah. mm-hmm. just to go on that. And I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, is the AAU or the travel teams, is it getting too much yeah. where it's disrupting families rather than bringing them together? And I think there is some aspect mm-hmm. that it is, that it's adding this pressure to families uh, to always try to be at these exposure camps or w- whatever it might be. And it's just adding stress to families. Now, again, if if the parents are willing to commit, mm-hmm. that's their decision. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's just
0: different than it was when we were growing up. And I say we mm-hmm. I'm I'm older <laughs> than you. So <laughs> so I've got the age advantage <laughs> on you there. But it's just and I know I'm sounding like the old guy. No, you're exactly you know, right though. But there is there is a something to commitment. it. It's yeah. a huge
1: commitment. And there's, I think there are some parents out there that maybe push their kids to do that. If you want to play AAU, the kid has to want it. Correct. And even for someone like me who loved basketball, there are weekends where I just said to my dad, I, I'm struggling right now with motivation. I'm a little burned out. It, it was just the reality of it. And I think it's tough to do that to, to our kids. And it's, yes. it's the system that you have to do now. Because if you don't play AAU, you're not playing Division One basketball. It's not happening. So I would love to see some tweaks to it. Um I don't regret any of it. It was it was great. But it is a big commitment to ask. Yeah. And it's 14 one, 15 year old.
0: That's right. And it's one thing when you're 16 17 sure. you but know younger, versus yeah. 8 9 year old. That's where it's getting we way too much. We played some
1: AAU and 8 9 year old stuff, but and not even that young really. Probably 12 13, but that was mainly local tournaments. And those teams, like I said, I joined that big team. Yeah. Towards the end. Those were much more casual. You know, if you needed to miss a weekend, you could. I think pushing that on eight and nine year olds. Oh, it's that's, way way
0: too much. That's tough. That's yeah. Right. What was the biggest transition getting to Clemson then?
1: Oh, so many. <laughs> so <laughs> many. I mean being so far away from my parents and, and that kind of thing. And then I didn't know anybody. Anybody. So kind of building those relationships and making friends. Yeah, so not and, one person. No, I didn't know one person. I didn't know one person. One of my friends from high school uh, did come to Clemson, and she became one of my best friends. I was just in her wedding. She's mm-hmm. amazing. But that's the only person I knew, and she wasn't an athlete. So, yeah, I, I knew one person. So that was probably the toughest part. Adjusting to when you're a freshman especially, a student athlete, because most, most places at Clemson, freshmen have mandatory study hall because they, you know, they want to make sure you're doing okay. Yeah, that's right. So you are doing something you have something scheduled for you from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. And that's not an exaggeration. Every day. So that adjustment, I remember I, I would come home at night and I'd be like, what happened today? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. It was so fast. Um, but the beauty of that is some of my best friends who I met at Clemson were also athletes. And so you have the other people you're with, your teammates, fellow athletes that you live with, they know what you're going through. So it that was a really cool thing. But probably the Time management, time commitment, and then just being so far away. Those, those were big adjustments. Did
0: you embrace the structure, though? Or uh, yeah. are you a person that really likes I structure? Did. I
1: like structure. I embraced it for sure. Um, and, you know, with me, too, I had study hall initially, but I didn't need it after a while. So that was good. Um, oh, so and, you're smart. <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> I just
1: I, – I came from a, a good high school that got me ready for college – and so after a while, once you get that mandatory study hall out of the way, then you have more free time. So you can kind of figure out how you want to spend your time. But I think it's good that freshmen have that because oh, it is. you got to learn how to do college. It's the study habits. Yeah, And it, it I is. Mean,
0: you can be smart mm-hmm. or you can, you know, not and be – it's, wouldn't it's even, all about the study habits. I'm
1: not one of the smartest. Yeah. I just – I study exactly. (laughs) Well, that's the thing.
0: Go to class, you study, and you're going to have a much better chance Mm -hmm. of success in college. Unfortunately, my son's realizing that after his freshman year. (laughs) Everyone has to learn. That's right. Everyone has to learn. (laughs) He did. He he experienced that freshman year. Like, whoa, this is a little bit different. Yep. Now, what about on the court Mm -hmm. in in terms of talent level? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember. So I tried to walk on at Clemson. Okay. Yeah. This was 1989. Okay. Okay. This, Cliff Ellis was the head coach, and we had a really oh, good team good at teams. Clemson. We won the ACC regular season yep. title that year. And I'm talking about Eldon Campbell, Dell mm-hmm. Davis, you know, uh, Derek Forrest, Ricky Jones. I mean, elite athletes oh, yeah. uh, at the time. And that was a humbling experience mm-hmm. for me. Uh, realizing that I, – and I knew I couldn't actually play at that level, but I wanted to go to a big-time school. Sure, sure. And so it was really eye-opening for mm-hmm. me. But from you, was there even an aspect of, oh, wait a second, okay, now this basketball is different than yeah. what I'm used to.
1: Yeah, so one of the reasons why I, I really wanted to go to Clemson was the challenge of playing in the ACC. And the ACC, you won't tell me anything else, is the best women's basketball conference in the country, flat out. It was when I played – I would argue it's even better now because you bring in Notre Dame and you bring in Louisville, these programs that are insane. But we also had Maryland in the league at the time, and that was the a little bit after the heyday of Maryland when they won that title in 06, but they were really, really good. So not just in practice, but in games. As a freshman, and I think a lot of freshmen have this, highs and lows, right? Highs of playing really well in the non-conference because the talent level's a little lower. Um, making some shots in the non-conference, having some good games in conference play, but also some games where I literally went 0 for 11. (laughs) And if I had made maybe two more shots, we would have beaten Florida State on the road. Stuff like that where – and it just teaches you a lot. And you got to grow up quickly. And in practice, too, I remember in maybe September, October, when you're getting into preseason before the season, the hardest part – I think most student athletes will tell you this – the hardest part of any part of their year is the preseason because you're doing two-a-days – you're doing conditioning at 6, weights at 12, practice at 4, with class in between. So I remember times in September when I just thought, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. These two-a-days are too hard. I can't feel my legs. These kinds of things. So that did prepare me. And then once you go through it once, you know what to expect. But the, athletic, the level of athlete in the ACC, that was the toughest thing for me. What I say my claim to fame is, is I'm probably the least overall athletic person to play Division One basketball, maybe at Clemson, because my vertical was rough. <laughs> my, uh, my speed, one of my coaches used to call me Jet, sarcastically, uh, lovingly, but yes. sarcastically. I, I worked my butt off, but I just, you know, I, I didn't have those gifts. You didn't have it. But I could shoot, and I knew that. And, you know, if you can bring that to the table, then you can play. And, and that's how I ended up getting on the court throughout my years at Clemson, and shooting also, shooting is such a mental thing. Um, you know, you, you can get the repetition and you can get the muscle memory, but the mental part is sometimes the hardest part. And I struggle with that my freshman year. Okay, so
0: explain that.
1: So, you know, shooting with the same confidence in your first shot of the game compared to when you're 0 for 5, that, that is tough. And it's tough for an 18-year-old kid. It's tough for, for people in the NBA. You know, and one thing my dad would always tell me is if you're making 35% of your shots, especially from beyond the arc, you're doing well. Like that, yes. that's how difficult it is. You can't expect to make every shot. And I'm so hard on myself. And that was the toughest part for me was getting down. If I if I started the game 0 for 4, it was tough for me to bounce back from that just mentally. Um, And I learned so much from that process. And in my junior year, I I was so much better with that. My self-talk was better. I had more confidence. And I think that just comes with gaining experience. But the mental part of being a shooter, I don't think your average fan appreciates that, especially when you're someone like me, when you know your job is to shoot and you know you don't bring as much on the defensive end or stuff like that, you just want so badly to do your job for your team where you can't really make it up in other areas. That's the tough part of being kind of a a shooting specialist, if you will.
0: And you mentioned that you learned a lot through being mm-hmm. able to go through that evolution. What do you mean? What did you learn?
1: Well, I learned to, to believe in myself because I would begin to doubt myself. And I learned the only way to believe in yourself is to can, continue to put in the work. And so that's what I did. Between my freshman and sophomore year, after I, I played really well to start the year and then struggled a bit mentally in conference play, just missing shots and that kind of thing. Uh, between my yes, freshman and sophomore year, I made 10,000 shots in three months.
0: Ten thousand.
1: I made ten thousand. I didn't shoot ten thousand. I made ten thousand. I have the notebook. I can show you. <laughs> and one of my coaches challenged me to do that, Coach Yo. And um, I just gained a level of confidence from that, you know. And and I think accepting too that failure is part of any sport. It's part of life. That's right. That's what basketball taught me too. Is you know no one's perfect. And Major League Baseball, if you are successful thirty percent of the time, you're a great could player. be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So um, just accepting that things aren't always going to go perfectly. And to not be so hard on myself, I, I could go on and on about things I learned. Oh, I well, and I,
0: I'm a firm believer that also that you actually grow more through failure. Oh
1: yeah, mm-hmm.
0: rather than some of the positive things that happen. I mean it's it's combined, but failure or not reaching a goal is what really can encapsulate your motivation and Definitely. your ability to grow and eventually reach certain goals. Uh, so I know you learned a lot yes. through that whole thing. <laughs> have you ever tried to calculate then how many shots you actually have taken over <laughs> your whole life? <laughs> Somebody asked me that too, that and I was like, "I don't even know, I don't even know if I could calculate that."
1: How many shots I've taken? Yes, I think it have to, it would have to be in the four hundred or five hundred.
0: I would I would thousands. say easily has to be. Has I've to be. never thought about that. Yeah, I know. and
1: I, I took a lot of shots. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, somebody asked me that too, and I, I didn't know how to answer no. it because I didn't even know how to calculate it. And that me I didn't mm-hmm. even play college basketball. I can't even imagine somebody like yourself that has played. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we wow. know you made 10,000, mm-hmm. so you, at least you shot 10,000 shots.
1: <laughs> and, you know, one that that makes me think of this. Like looking back on my college career, and my dad will tell you this because I call him after every game. I, you know, I was living and dying with everything that happened with those games and every shot I took and that kind of thing. And looking back on it, I wish I had the perspective of grown up, you know, 26 year old me in that it wasn't life or death. Like it, it wasn't, you know, the world will go on. You can't take it as seriously. And so that was a huge lesson I learned. And thankfully going into college, I had that identity in Christ and in my faith and I didn't put I tried not to. There are times where people struggle with this, but I didn't put my worth in what I was doing on the court. That wasn't the most important thing, and I've seen athletes struggle with that, but I think that's those lessons, really those two things of not taking it so seriously because it in the end is just a basketball game and then my identity is not in if I go 5 for 7 tonight. You know, those those were the most important things in the long run.
0: So when did you become so Grounded that you knew your identity was in Christ. How early was that with your faith?
1: It was, you know, I think everyone has to discover that for themselves. And yeah, everybody has their own oh, journey, definitely. And I grew up in a in a family of of faith to a certain extent, and had great role models, but I didn't I didn't come to faith and understanding my own faith until about my senior year of high school, and then having I was very new in it in those last couple years of high school, but then grew in it so much coming out to Clemson. And that's why I'm so thankful for coming out here. And this journey too, is because it forced me to rely on my faith like never before, because my mom because wasn't down the way hall. From yeah. My grandfather wasn't da- you know, down the street. And so that was a huge thing. And then on my, my first day, basically meeting two girls, who I still call my best friends, who were also in Christ as well. And having that, you know, these are just things that As you mentioned, it's a God thing. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. So again, why this was the best decision I ever made coming out here.
0: Well, I didn't come into my faith until I was like 37, 38 years old. I'm 48 now. Everyone has a different different journey. And I I look back and I'm like, gosh, so like hearing your story, I'm like, man, I wish I would have found my faith, you know, at when I was a senior in high school, but again, I obviously wasn't prepared for it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready at the time, and mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that you know I did eventually go through that whole process because it's changed my life uh, and it has grounded me. and And I do have that aspect as well as that I always have a foundation yes. to go back mm-hmm. on, no matter what type of void or negativities going on. I have that, and so I know you obviously had to lean on that at times yes. when you didn't have the support locally uh, as you're going through a lot of things. What was it like, though, now that you're graduating? Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, I just want to be a college basketball player. <laughs> and That's then, a great uh, question. Right? It's a great. Uh, Bring it full circle. <laughs> right. So how we got to hearing oh, Kelly man. on the radio, That's what gra- was <laughs> the plan after graduation?
1: <laughs> so I went to grad school. Because I graduated in three years at Clemson. So I knew at 20, which is when I graduated, I did not want to go out into the real world yet, and I probably didn't belong in the real <laughs> world yet. Uh, so I applied to grad school at Clemson, and I and I went to a two-year grad program. It was the Communication Technology and Society program. It's, I was a comm major. It's a small program, um, but it was so great because I worked with a couple of great professors there and got to morph it into a sports focus. And initially, I thought I wanted to be a professor, That's where I was thinking. I always loved school. Professor Gramlich. Yeah, I thought I would become a professor. And so I started, I was a a graduate assistant with Jimmy Sanderson, who wrote a lot of scholarly stuff and was helping him research and stuff like that. And it was fun. Um, But then one of my dear friends, Jeff Callen, who is now the director of communications at Clemson, he was the SID for women's basketball when I played. He was our sports information director. He's he's come a long way. He's (laughs) moved up. Um, (laughs) But... I was on the treadmill in Fike, and I was just, you know, trying to stay in shape, right, because I had finished playing basketball. And I thought, I, needed to, I just need to reach out to Jeff. I want to get back into sports. And it just came to me. It just hit you. I need to reach out to Jeff. Yeah. On the treadmill. Again, a God thing, I think. And so I texted him, and Jeff being the um, – Jeff is the perfect person to work at university because he is always willing to help someone and always willing to help really any kind of student – he said, come in, we'll get you set up with something. So I started just writing some game stories for women's basketball and helping out at games. And, uh, so one game, I forget which game it was, but my co-host now, William Quackenbush was doing the radio for women's basketball. as his first year. And so I'm talking with Jeff after the game, had just ended and Quack comes walking over as he does. And he's talking to Jeff and I'd met Quack before, but I didn't know him. And, um, Quack and I just start arguing about the NBA. It just started happening. Jeff like posed a question and Quack and I just start going, right? And uh, it was a lighthearted argument. Because you're not competitive (laughs) or anything, right? No, not at all. And Jeff Callen just goes, you guys should do this on the radio. And Quack says, yeah, come on in for an internship or come sit in on the show and see if you like it. Quack, being the gracious person he is. And so I, I came in, sat in on the show. That's when Dutch Coleman was there at the time. He was a great guy. Dutch moved on. Um, Ricky Patterson was also in there as a producer. And I was still in grad school. So I was just kind of getting experience. And uh, then, as I was about to graduate, WCCP, Deb Jones over there said, would you want to become the full-time producer and co-host? And I said, yeah. This was always the plan. Of course. (laughs) I was going to go into radio. So that's how that happened. And then here we are. Kwok and I have been doing that show for Three and a half years. It's amazing. I cannot believe when I say that. Um, And I've loved it. And and it's opened up so many other doors too. And I, I just could have never envisioned this. I had no idea this is what I would end up doing, but it felt like this is what I, it feels like this is what I should be doing and I just didn't know it. Oh, and it sounds like it, it as well because oh, good. <laughs> you sound
0: very, very good, and and uh, you're not afraid to share your opinion. That's true, right? That is true. Because uh, again, that's I know always you're competitive, been true. Right? <laughs> so there's there's aspect of you're a social person, but you like making sure your opinion's out there. <laughs> that's yes. a good thing, though. Yes, right? I hope it's not a.
1: You know, I, I'm I love debate, right? Yes. And that's what I hope Kwok and I do on our show, and we try is and we're both very opinionated. That's why I think it works. It does. And I don't let him walk over me, he won't let me walk over him. And so the I love having two points of view going back and forth. I think that's very compelling. I hope other people do. But especially the male and female aspect, I love that part of our show because just the reality is Quack thinks about things a little differently than I would, yes. and maybe I feel more passionate about certain topics and Quack about other topics. And so I I love that part of our show as well.
0: Do you enjoy radio, sports talk radio aspect more than play-by-play?
1: So that's tough. I love both. Um, I love doing color work. I love being a color analyst for basketball. I want to take that as far as I can. I've gotten to call a lot of Clemson women's games, a couple of Clemson men's games, which has Mm -hmm. been awesome and just speaks to the great people at Clemson for giving me that opportunity. Rick Bagby mainly. um, I love both. I can't pick one right now. I love doing sports talk radio. I love calling basketball What's
0: your prep like?
1: For a basketball game?
0: For both. For the basketball game and the radio show.
1: Um, I'll start with the radio show because I do that every day. So I get into the station around nine and... I do most of my prep in that first, like, three hours before the show. I do some other stuff for the station. I do social media and stuff like that. But um, I have a couple websites that I really trust. I go to ESPN. I go to CBS Sports, 247, uh, The Athletic, and then some other stuff and kind of figure out the news of the day. But mainly, Kwok and I both do this. He'll A topic, he'll just think of something, right? I want to talk about this or I'll come across a stat. What we do generally in the morning is I shoot him, like, Six Twitter DMs. He shoots me six Twitter DMs. (laughs) And then we figure out what we're going to talk about. And sometimes the topics roll over, of course. And then we try to get some good guests and stuff like that. But that's the main prep for the show. Um, And I'm so fortunate, too, because we do a lot of prep. But thankfully, somehow, you know, Kwok and I were paired together and we do have a good Chemistry, And we do end up going into some random debates that just take us way off topic. So then we just save topics for the next day. Um, But for a basketball game, I start prepping. Let's say if the game's Thursday, I'll generally start prepping probably Monday or Tuesday, reading through both teams' game notes. And then I make my board, which has the roster for one team, roster for the other team, three or four bullet points about each player on there. And then what I really like to have and what I like to talk about are overall stats, bullet points for each team, because I kind of want a theme or a storyline for each team going in. And then I highlight some of the main stuff I want to talk about on that board. And for for teams I don't know much about, if I'm going outside ACC women's basketball or ACC men's basketball, like I did a Wofford men's game, I'll watch the first half of their most recent game for both teams, just to get a feel of how these guys play, because you can look on a, on a roster and on a stat sheet and think you know what's going on, but I want to see how they, how they play. That's kind of more important to me. And then you get pronunciations in there and of stuff course. like that, which is really important <laughs> because people get fired up about that. Um, but that's mainly my prep for a basketball game.
0: Yeah, I would have to say that uh, doing a little bit of radio, it's amazing that you don't realize how many people out in the world have names that are not easy to pronounce.
1: Oh, oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Because
0: you come across
1: them all the time. Oh, I'll tell you this. ACC women's basketball, (laughs) there is a serious international influence, really. Syracuse has so many international players. Georgia Tech and Miami, I guess because they're all in pretty big cities, have so many international players. So Syracuse's roster is... It's like, you need hooked on phonics. I mean, you (laughs) need something to figure this out. So it is hard. Um, But, you know, you go by the pronunciation guide, you talk to the SID. That's one thing that actually Pete Yannity, who I've done a lot of games with, one thing he's adamant about, and I've started trying to do this, is talking to um, the coaches before the game. So getting at least five or ten minutes with each coach. And sometimes it's harder, but that's a great way to really find out what's happening with the team and just sit down and just pick their brain for a couple minutes, if they let you. And most coaches are gracious about doing that.
0: When you look back in terms of when you were coming up and loving basketball, mm-hmm. who were some of the players you wanted to be oh, like, man. though? Both NBA and WNBA. Yeah, I,
1: I love the WNBA as a kid. I re- I don't follow it as much anymore, um, but I think one of the best things, one of the best reasons why WNBA exists is for a young girl to be able to see that. I had the orange and white ball, you know, like the one they play with. I'd shoot with that all the time. Cheryl Swoops was my all-time favorite, and I loved the Houston Comets. We went to see, we, we went to see a game, a Houston Comets game. I think it was near my birthday or on my birthday, and Cheryl Swoops hit a game winner, oh, and wow. I was, like, hooked. So Cheryl Swoops, a lot of the University of Texas players, I followed them closely, and Duke when Gail Gastoncores was there. Mm. Those were some really good teams. Um on the men's side, I love JJ Reddick. I, I watched I well, would watch is a
0: Duke fan at the time. This is such right? a
1: nerd alert here. I would watch <laughs> JJ Reddick highlights before my Clemson games. Just to see the ball go in and see him shoot with the utmost confidence all the time. So I still JJ Reddick is my all-time favorite player to watch, but Back in those days, again, some of those Texas teams, you look at T.J. Ford, Kevin Durant. Oh, I know. When Durant played that one year in Austin, we went to a lot of those games. We were so lucky to be able to go. My grandpa had season tickets. And I'll never experience something like that where you'd go to a game, and you literally did not want anyone else to shoot the ball. That's how electric he was in college. And I think people forget that because it was one year, and not every game was on national TV like Zion had this past year, but... He was an incredible player, and those were some really good teams. So watching Kevin Durant was really fun.
0: Oh, he's a magical player. He's, and I know and he's taken some just, flack recently. Of course he and, has. But
1: just basketball-wise, yes. that guy is unbelievable.
0: He's almost unguardable. He is, yeah. Because of his size and his shooting and ability. He, his,
1: his, his stroke was, was so sweet, right? I mean, he's a seven-footer. I know. And he is just draining threes from all over the place. And he had the utmost confidence, too. Green light from anywhere. Loved watching him. Did
0: you have that type of confidence?
1: For the most part, yeah. And like, like I said, there are times where you're 0 for 7 and you're thinking, <laughs> you're should like, I really ah. shoot this 3? Um, but especially, yeah, I, I've always had a certain level of confidence. But it also, it's important in basketball, I think, for that for a coach to instill that in you. And every coach I ever had gave me the greenest of green lights. And so that gives you, I mean, if you're 0 8 and they're still screaming at you to shoot and they're saying, Kelly, I'm going to take you out if you don't shoot. If you shoot, don't
0: shoot. Yeah.
1: That, you know, that's a good thing to hear.
0: <laughs> what about talking trash? If you like J.J. Reddick, oh, were okay. you that type of player as well?
1: I supported J.J.'s play. His <laughs> trash talking and attitude were not great. I was such a wimp when it comes to talking trash. I wish, I wish I could tell you I talk trash. Yes,
0: come on. We wouldn't hear and those I stories.
1: <laughs> I, I never even got a technical foul ever. Never. And I wish I had. I wish I I could brag about a technical <laughs> foul. Oh man, I I just went out. I my, my entire philosophy was, you know, my play will speak for itself. I'm not going to because I you don't need to I'm say not anything, good at talking right? trash. I'm not good at it. I know I'm not. You got to know your strengths. That's right. Let my teammates talk trash.
0: <laughs> now, what about just from a perspective? As I mean, I know you've talked a little bit about. Lessons that you've learned Mm -hmm. through sports, but how would you sum up, you know, what sports has meant to you? Because as you described a little bit, it's interesting. The irony of sports is what I feel is that, yes, the world continues to go Mm -hmm. around no matter if you win or lose in a game or whatever. But the magnitude or the impact of sports Mm -hmm. of what it can do as we see when teams win what it does. So from your perspective, just in your life, how would you sum it up?
1: I've learned so many things through sports um, and they've impacted me so much. I would say in many ways, sports is one of our true meritocracies that we still have, right? If you work hard enough, now there are some people that are just more physically gifted and that's fine. That's life. But if you put the work in, you can get somewhere. You can play college basketball. You can play at the collegiate level, you can make your varsity team if you're willing to put the work in that, that is probably one of the most important things I learned. And then also, and I think this is so important now, especially with basketball. I also learned it's not really about me when you're on a team and the goal is to win. And even, especially in college, in high school, you could say I was the star, but in college I was not, you know, and I had a specific role. And if I didn't do that role, we probably weren't going to be successful. But in the end, it was about the collective and it wasn't all about me and what I wanted and all that stuff. And I think it takes time for for kids to learn that. But that's why I think sports are so important because other people are relying on you, right? If you mess up, if you're late, if you get in trouble, other people pay for that. And I think that's a really important thing. for And that's why I would advocate for at least play some level of sport exactly. for every kid, especially team sports, because it makes you realize that it does. It ain't all about you. No, it's not. I think that's important.
0: And I would agree with you one hundred percent. Not saying they have to be a star. No,
1: no, just to just yes.
0: get some exposure get the so they can experience what that is like because ultimately they're going to experience something very similar mm-hmm. to that sporting yeah. situation in real life. Exactly. That's just the reality mm-hmm. of it. What about any words of wisdom? I'm big on (laughs) phrases, mottos, quotes, or just life advice. Uh, And I know I've lived life longer than you, but, you know, I'm always about learning uh, Mm -hmm. from other people, just advice that they have or just phrases or quotes that they've leaned on that have helped them. Oh, man.
1: Words of wisdom. Uh, I think, you know, one of the most important things I try to do, and this is not perfect. Of course, this doesn't happen. Um, but it is biblical and, and love your neighbor as yourself. I that is such an important thing that I I try to do. And and just to to try to I actually have a screensaver on my phone that um Christ did not come to be served but to serve. You know, that that is one of the most important things I think that people can learn. And again, the idea of being on a team, it's not about you. For this team to be successful, you have to, you've got to put in something, you've got to serve someone else. You have to serve that that greater good, that greater body. So I think those are the two things I try to lean on. Of course, it doesn't always happen. Um, but you know i've I've really tried to just to to make relationships a priority, and I don't want anyone to to talk to me or have known me in college or know me in high school or whatever, and have something bad to say about me. not not saying that it's always sunshine and butterflies and we don't have arguments or disagreements, but I just hope that they know that I. I value that relationship. I hope I treated them well, you know, and have that mutual kind of respect. But I think it all comes down to people. People are, you know, mainly why we're here—to love each other um, and to build meaningful relationships. And th- that's the thing. Those are the things that will last, right? Because when I look back on at Clemson, I have my degree, which is very important. <laughs> um, I have my ring. Uh, but the main thing that impacts me every day are those those people that I got to know, and the friendships, and the weddings you get to be in, and and that's what's important so i guess that's my my wisdom my well, life advice I, I admire
0: that because love is the foundation yeah. and it's the tough part that you described though that it it's hard at times to love the unlovable mm-hmm. and but if you can do that if you can have that type of mindset you're going to be in a far better place than the opposite of that for sure. so I'd because m- there are
1: times when we are also unlovable <gasps> Yes, and we exactly. have to realize that yeah, like, and someone else has loved us every day for me
0: <laughs> <laughs> they put up with us that's right exactly well I admire that and uh, I admire everything that you're doing and it's been an honor having you as a guest. So thank you so much, Kelly. Yes, it is. I know. Well I could actually I could continue talking for a I think people have probably heard enough. We probably need to flip the mics, Rich. Uh, We need to do that sometime. Well, I appreciate it. Kelly, thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Competition in life is something we all expect, and for many of us, it's that competition and competitive spirit that drives each of us to excel each and every day, just like it continues to drive Kelly. And when you are able to harness that spirit to focus on the collective we, then you just might find fulfillment not only by reaching goals but by also serving others. Now that finishes episode 119. And unfortunately technology gremlins did show up unexpected with our conversation with Kelly. The video file was corrupt and we tried multiple avenues to repair the file without any success. So unfortunately you can't watch our conversation with Kelly, but you can watch many of our other conversations by visiting our rich take on sports YouTube channel where you can easily subscribe and remember Focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone.
1: You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit RichTakeOnSports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.